0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, we're heading into those final moments before Georgia's biggest game of the season here thus far against Auburn on Saturday. And we want to give you our kind of final thoughts on all this to get you ready for what's going to go down. It's a game we expect to see Georgia win But as we're going to talk about, there are some potential challenges to be uh, dealt with here. And Georgia needs to be as close to its best as it can be to give itself the best shot here. Well, the good news on that is, is we perhaps have reason to think that maybe Georgia is Getting at least a little healthier, moving into this. Now we don't want to read too much into social media stuff because sometimes this can be false positive. Sometimes this can be misleading. But you couldn't help but notice what we've seen from Javon Bullard, one of the most important players in this Georgia team, MVP level player for the two college football game, playoff games a year ago, and uh cl- clearly a key part of this Georgia defense here for 2023. He's been out for a while dealing with injury perhaps that's just about done for him let me show you this on the screen here javon bullard putting out on uh, instagram uh, kind of a throwback to michael jordan uh, back in the old days saying i'm back that's the uh, message from Bullard there. Now, we don't quite know exactly what that means, but you don't have to necessarily be, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes or Perot or one of these you know, famous detectives to say, ooh, maybe it sounds like Bullard's feeling healthy. Now, that's not a medical diagnosis. That's not being cleared by trainers and doctors and things like that. But that certainly, I believe, speaks to the eagerness that Bullard has to be out there on Saturday. And here's the thing that we know. This is... A totally do- different Georgia defense when it's firing in all cylinders. and we think that Bullard can be an example of that. And I think right now we are still in the early stages of the season trying to identify exactly what the identity of this Georgia team is going to be. And eventually, in some form or some fashion, we expect the Georgia defense to be a big part of that identity because that's been kind of true for the last two national championship seasons. and in it just stands to reason that the same thing would, would in some form, would be true again for this year there as well. But specifically within the context of that defense, also what's the identity of this defense going to be that perhaps differentiates it from previous Georgia defenses? And one of the places I think you can look is they're at the safety position because Bullard, who last year was like more of a nickelback or a star player uh for Georgia, now in that true, more traditional safety role, with him fully healthy doing what he's doing, pairing with what Malachi Starks, Malachi Starks does. All of a sudden, I think right now you're talking about a tandem of safeties that's probably the envy of everything in college football. We haven't seen those two together this season yet as much as we might like, but it is a reminder of what they could be able to do. In fact, let me show you this. If it is Bullard able to play tomorrow paired alongside Starks, how about this number from Pro Football Focus? Now, I realize we often offer this as a little bit of a caveat. PFF's not everybody's cup of tea. They don't show their work very much in terms of how they come up with some of the numbers they use. But let's assume they're at least directionally accurate, if not specifically accurate. And according to Pro Football Focus, their highest grade safety on the season thus far is Malachi Starks. They give him a grade of 90.9, and that probably does... Line up pretty well with our own eye test of what we've seen from Starks, which is when I watch Malachi, I'm seeing one of the top players, I believe, in the country, certainly one of the top overall kind of alpha dog type players in this Georgia defense. So the idea that he's leading the grades for pro football focus from a safety standpoint. That kind of makes some sense. That sort of feels like uh, something that sounds right. And when you think about Javon Bullard, as I said before, an MVP level player from college football playoff games a year ago, if Bullard is back and healthy, you pair him with Starks, all of a sudden this back end of the Georgia defense becomes a very formidable force to be reckoned with. I certainly hope that's true. I would also say that I'm probably more optimistic than not, not based on inside information or medical expertise, just. I guess, educated guesses that Mikael Williams probably returns for Georgia tomorrow, too. We saw him against the South Carolina Gamecocks, and we uh, were able to really recognize against a good quarterback, an SEC-level team, just how valuable Mikael could be. If you think he returns tomorrow there as well, all of a sudden, boom, you're feeling really, really good about this Georgia defense. I'll give you a quick number here, and then I want to talk about something different when you look at like gambling odds and things like that obviously you see a point spread about what george is favored by a couple touchdowns you see the overall point total that they expect both teams combined to score but also as you get closer to game time the various sports books will give you an individual team number as well it's called a team total and for auburn right now at least at one of the sports books i looked at this morning the team total for the tigers is sitting at 14 and a half that's the Expectation for how many points that Auburn scores in this game on Saturday. And I like to try to drill things down and be as simplistic as possible when I can be. To me, this sounds like a really reasonable goal for Georgia on Saturday. Can you keep Auburn below that number? Can you keep them to 10? Could you possibly do less than that? But if you're looking for just a very reasonable expectation for Georgia, a demonstration that it's ready for what's coming next as you start looking ahead to Georgia playing ranked opponents and the potential of an undefeated Kentucky team next week and all the stuff that's going to go down when you look at, at at Georgia getting ready for all of that this road test at Auburn gives you a chance to really prepare yourself for for what Georgia is going to be or perhaps it's a final level of prepare, a preparation for Georgia to, to show you what it is and how it shuts down an Auburn offense that's had a hard time moving the football and a hard time scoring points this could be a very strong statement the overall point total expected from Auburn is somewhere in the neighborhood of 14. If Georgia keeps Auburn underneath that, then I think at the very least, when you start talking about late stage of the game on Saturday, you're not talking about a game that Georgia's in danger of losing. And depending on how many points Georgia can score, which determine the ease of the Georgia win. But job one tomorrow is to limit the Auburn offense, render them incapable of racking up yards and scoring points. And if you do that, you are well on your way to earning your first road win of the season now speaking of being on the road let's change the subject here and shift gears to this apparently Auburn seeking to put pull out all the stops for the game on Saturday they want everything they can have at their disposal and to their advantage including trying to create apparently the greatest largest atmosphere possible for the game now if you're a Georgia fan this just probably gets you even more fired up but for the Auburn fans themselves I guess this is their way to get a little bit fired up too let me show you this on the screen apparently Auburn calling for the orange out I don't know if they've done this before I honestly can't remember I know going back to like almost before I was born at times back then Auburn would occasionally wear the orange it is the ugliest color imaginable the the idea that someone would willingly voluntarily choose to wear this is beyond understanding for me but plenty of Georgia's rivals do and so Saturday uh, uh, Auburn is calling for the all orange everything apparently an orange out there in the stadium so if you're going the good news is your red and black is going to really stick out the rest of the crowd because they're going to be wearing the most hideous color that god ever created but apparently that's what they're trying to do to make the biggest atmosphere possible for the game and listen we'll make fun of hugh freeze we'll make fun of auburn fans we'll make fun of auburn's you know ineptitude over the course of the last few years we'll make fun of a lot of those things But the one thing that we're not around here going to make all that much fun of is Auburn's ability to create a pretty big atmosphere for games like this. It's been tough on Georgia before for the entire game in 2017, a part of a late comeback for Auburn in 2019 that did fall short. Early stages of 2021, Georgia got to a little bit of a deficit there against Auburn. There in that spot, we have seen the Auburn crowd be a factor, not just against Georgia, but a lot of the teams that have come in there to Jordan Hare Stadium. And a lot of the talk this week has centered around Georgia's readiness for that kind of thing. And this week, Kirby Smart talked about, you know, uh, tough SEC atmospheres and battling loud crowds on the road. And Smart, who's very much about the tangible nuts and bolts part of football. Also acknowledges that these kinds of environments do impact football games. Uh, this is what Kirby Smart said about that this week.
1: I think they're more similar than unique. Uh, I would have a hard time, you know, pinpointing differences other than they're all loud as hell in our conference. And uh, they do a great job. I mean, uh, you know, people, well, we went to Missouri last year and I thought it was as loud as anything at night. The environment was really loud and it's not even an enclosed stadium. You know, and, and, and then this, this stadium is enclosed and, it, you know, it's similar to ours. People have always said there's a similarity between the, the, the look of theirs and ours, but it, it's extremely loud. I mean, I, I don't know how to differentiate you know, one school to another because they're just loud. They're, all their fans are, are passionate. It's a very similar environment.
0: So Kirby mentions the Missouri game from last year. I'll never forget that trip. Probably as long as I'm able to remember anything, as long as I'm living, I'll never forget that because of the way the mood changed during that game. The weekend itself had been a little bit of kind of like a fun road trip. We'd gone to a Cardinals game on that Friday night. I'd never been to Bush Stadium before. That was really fun. I'd never been to Columbia before, Como as they call it. I was really looking forward to being there for that. Great restaurant scene there. Really I have to tell you, I know Georgia's about to stop playing Missouri on an every other year basis, but in terms of road games, I've been lucky enough to be a part of going to Columbia, Missouri, other than the almost result of the game, really fun experience because the scene there in downtown Columbia is really pretty nice, you know, being a chance, getting a chance to be a part of kind of a big city and go to a major league baseball game the night before that was really fun. But the whole thing was more like sort of a touristy sightseeing type deal. And the Missouri fans were kind of playing into that. They were so nice. They were welcoming us. And, oh, yeah, y'all go over here. Great spot to get a burger or all that kind of like chamber of commerce type stuff, because the Missouri fans, probably rightly so, did not really view themselves as having much of a chance to win the game. And then, boom, lo and behold, out of nowhere... You know, Georgia gets off to the slow start. Missouri gets off to a much faster start. All of a sudden, they're winning the game, and all of a sudden, their fans started believing. And Kirby didn't say this in the in the thing that he was referencing there, but it seems like, to my eyes, it was almost like the stadium kept getting fuller and fuller and fuller. I don't know if it really did. It probably didn't, but it seemed like the crowd was not only getting louder as the game went on, but it almost looked like more people had come into the stadium because to begin with, barely full a lot of Missouri fans were content to enjoy beautiful weather and I guess tailgate outside and things like that but suddenly they're in there they're playing that Narcos trumpet song and they're fired up and they're ready to go and you're like how did this turn into a house of horrors like this supposed to be a sleepy little road game all of a sudden these Missouri fans are breathing down our necks a year ago it's one of those things that's just in the SEC can kind of happen out of nowhere but at a place like Auburn it doesn't quite happen out of nowhere it sort of happens from the get-go but much the same way with Missouri last year if you get off to that slow start you do put yourself in a position where the Auburn crowd has a chance to become a factor. And as I said before, this is not like make believe. This is not like you talk about this because you need something to talk about in the build up to a game. I went back and looked at this. Last 30 games for Auburn when they were a point spread underdog at home, when, meaning the sports books, Vegas, whatever, favored the opponent to win the game in Jordan Hare Stadium. Last 30 games for Auburn uh, when uh, they were a point spread underdog at home. They are 17-12-1 and one against the spread in that spot, so a decided advantage for Auburn in terms of keeping it closer than the experts thing in that situation, but it's also important to note they've got 11 outright wins in that situation there too. These are games which Auburn wasn't favored, but playing at home as an underdog, finding a way to win the game. Now, do I expect that to happen on Saturday? Of course I don't. I've already said I believe that Georgia wins, and Uh, how many points Georgia scores probably determines how easy the win is because we don't believe the Auburn offense is going to move the ball on Georgia at all. But if you allow the crowd to become too much of a factor, especially early, these things have a way of changing and the mood around a game has a way of evolving. So for a Georgia team that has this season not always gotten off to the absolute fastest possible starts, tomorrow would be a very good day for that trend to change. Take the Auburn crowd out of the game as quickly as you can and a bunch of disappointed folks will go home dressed in the ugliest color of orange you've ever seen my name is brandon adams and this is dog nation daily daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans presented today by kroger we are happy to have you with us whether it's live on video starting at 10 a.m or even earlier than that 9 first and 15 dog dog nation app uh on our uh you know, for our first and 15 there, always a lot of fun. Radio Athens Sports Radio 9, six The Raft podcast across all the podcast platforms just really happy to have you with us as a part of the program whichever one of those platforms you choose to use to connect with us and how about a really cool thing going down here with our friends at Kroger make sure you know about this of course Kroger brings the show to you but they also bring fun things to their various stores throughout the year including Malachi Starks we just talked about him a moment ago well Malachi Starks is going to be at the Kroger Athens Marketplace that's 700 U.S. Highway 29 uh in uh, athens georgia uh, uh, let me give you the address again 700 u.s highway 29 north in athens georgia on october 4th courtesy of body armor and power aid for a meet and greet from 6 30 to 7 30 so you had a great chance to meet uh malachi stark's right there in athens area kroger on october 4th there's also a lot of prizes to be given away and a fun stuff to do during the meet and greet so please make sure you uh make note of that october 4th is the date it's the kroger location 700 u.s highway 29 north in athens from six thirty to seven thirty. 30 uh malachi stark's going to be on hand what a great thing that's going to be of course a uh, body armor and a uh, power aid once again making all that possible Malachi's a great guy in addition to being a really good football player Malachi's got a great personality we saw that come shining through back when he was a recruit so my guess is Malachi's gonna have a really good time meeting a bunch of Georgia fans there that day at the Kroger in Athens good fun stuff taking place there on October the 4th all right we're gonna talk to Jeff Sintel here coming up in a moment uh, a lot of recruiting stuff to get to with Jeff you know what's going on with Georgia next when it comes to wide receiver recruiting the current status of in-state recruiting there's a little bit of a vibe around defensive line recruiting here right now after some interesting uh, news involving that position group here uh, on the recruiting trail. A lot to be covered with Jeff Centel here. We'll do a lot of that UGA recruiting talk coming up in a moment today on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse, and it's poured today by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink, and I have to say, I'm a little bit surprised that something that I thought would be a really big story going into Georgia Auburn this week has actually not turned out to be as big a story as I thought it might be what I thought we might be hearing more about is the success that Hugh Freeze has had in the past against Kirby Smart obviously in 2016 uh, Hugh Freeze Ole Miss team beat Kirby back before Georgia I mean listen the the 2016 team is such a far cry from what Georgia would become and we've talked a lot the last few days about kirby being 85 and 15 in his first 100 games as georgia coach when you consider the fact that five of those losses came in 2016 alone, it gives you an idea about how different 2016 has been from 2017 to present day in terms of the overall level of success that George has enjoyed. It's it's pretty obvious that this became a very different team in 2017 in Kirby's second year. Oftentimes, you see massive growth year over year from year one to year two. Kirby certainly demonstrated that. But in 2016, when uh, Kirby is a first-year coach, going to Oxford, Mississippi, and, you know, Hugh Freeze, Got the best of him. Beat him up pretty good there that day. But also as a head coach at Ole Miss, Kirby smart coach defenses, 2014, Ole Miss over Alabama, 2015 in Tuscaloosa, Ole Miss over Alabama. I thought some of that success for Freeze against Kirby might have been a little bit more of a talking point for somebody here this week. Thus far, it hasn't quite happened. But did you notice this? And I don't have this clip to play for you. Uh, I wasn't able to pull it this morning. But um, did you notice the other day in the Hugh Freeze press conference the one we've already played a couple of clips you know for you from this week where uh Freeze said a bunch of weird stuff one of the things that Freeze apparently has a very vivid memory of is the Ole Miss win in 2016 now he was using this in the context of I remember how bad we beat them in 2016 and it only goes to show you how good of a coach Kirby Smart has become because of what they've been able to do since then which is sort of factually true but there's also kind of the weird context of in that same press conference, Freeze had zero memory of the fact that the second year for Kirby Smart was a trip to the national championship game, but apparently a very vivid memory of a head-to-head win for Hugh Freeze against Smart in 2016. It's just kind of funny what Hugh Freeze does remember and what he doesn't remember. You can go back and find that uh, transcript on, on online if you want to see more of that, but pretty clearly remembering that win for himself head-to-head against Kirby Smart. But overall the success that freeze has kind of had against kirby has not really been talked about too much this week but kirby though did talk about from what is now kind of a long time ago time as old miss head coach and kind of where he is now after a stop at liberty and now here at auburn the evolution of hugh freeze as both the coach and perhaps an offensive mind kirby did talk a little bit about that this week let's go ahead and hear what kirby had to say about that
1: i think people evolve. They've evolved. Um, they've evolved in protection. They've evolved in, in route structure. Um, he has, you know, he's not the same staff he had. And Hugh doesn't do everything, so he's got a staff that he puts in charge of, of, of doing things, and they've gone out and added some wrinkles. There, there are um, qualities and, and, and traits of his uh, DNA, his, his offense from years ago that are still a part of this, but uh, there's things that have been added, just like defensively we've added things uh, throughout the years too.
0: Let me tell you what I think I notice about Hugh Freeze and obviously I'm not you know former coach here so I I don't know that my opinion is all that valid or probably even true but let me just tell you to my eyes what I feel like I see when I see Hugh Freeze in terms of what he looks like he's trying to build at Auburn now compared to what he was building when he first got to Ole Miss a few years ago you know at the time Hugh Freeze sort of had to me the little bit of an image of like an SEC invader this was a time in which you had like Kevin Sumlin, Texas A&M, obviously Gus Malzahn. You had a lot of these coaches coming into the league and they were working as hard as they could to transform the way this league played offensively, so much so that Nick Saban sort of felt like he was kind of forced to make that same evolution because that's just what football was becoming. And Freeze, to me, was really at the forefront of some of that. One of the things that I remember is, is that he wanted to play as fast as he could, so much so that he was kind of foregoing some of the basic tenets of what football had always been. You know, you know, one of the things that a quarterback's trying to do and offense trying to do before it snaps the ball is you want to identify the Mike linebacker, the linebacker right there in the middle, because that gives you an idea of everything that's going to happen with how you run the play. And I remember at one point in time they were making a big deal when Freeze was at Ole Miss, but the fact that they didn't want to identify the Mike anymore. That just took time. Like, they would rather – not fully identify what they were seeing defensively because they want to get the playoff even faster. That's sort of what Freeze sort of was back then. I remember that being kind of a thing that would occasionally get talked about. But now, and who knows what this becomes if Freeze stays here, has some success, perhaps he goes back to being a little bit like what he was before. But to me, he was hired at Auburn because he has had some SEC success. He's definitely had SEC experience. And he was brought here to be an SEC style coach kind of a response to what Brian Harson wasn't and where I see that showing up for Auburn right now is a lot of this is through the transfer portal but they're a little better along the line of scrimmage they have been the last couple of years that freeze at one point in time was this revolutionary response to traditional SEC coaches and perhaps because he's getting a little older or perhaps that's just because what Auburn needs to me he sort of feels a little bit more like a coach coaching in the traditional SEC mode and mold right now they're going to try to run the ball on Saturday, they're going to hope to play pretty good defense, that this is the SEC of old in the presence of a coach who at one point in time was trying to change everything about the SEC. So that to me is if Hugh Freeze has evolved, that's what I sort of feel like I have seen from that. But this is also a guy that – And he was more than happy to insinuate that a little bit this week. He's had some success against Kirby Smart before. My guess is Kirby probably remembers that. And my guess is Kirby could be out for at least a little taste of that revenge on Saturday. Kirby's, for the most part, gotten retribution against anybody that's ever beaten him. Hugh Freeze would be one of the few examples that hasn't yet had the chance to be the case but on Saturday we think that probably changes and that is around the doghouse and it's poured today by our friends at the Finnish long drink and of course one of the great staples of a Friday for many of you is getting everything packed up to get on the road and travel over for whether it be a game in Athens or a road trip something like that all the tailgate supplies going with you and in your cooler no better thing to take with you for what I think is going to be a beautiful day tomorrow and then a great collection of the Finnish long drink whether it's the cranberry the long drink strong long drink zero no carbs no sugar long drink traditional y'all know I like that it's the blue cans grapefruit flavor it's the gin kick and tomorrow as you exit the peach date to head over to uh the plains taking a taste of the peach steak with you with that peach flavored version of the finish long drink you know that's a good idea too so go to the longdrink.com that's the website you can put in your zip code and if you haven't picked up and tried some finish long drink yet you can find out where you can get some Or if you're on your way to Auburn, you want to try to figure out where you can stop along the way. Well, my guess is the the Longdrink.com would be a great way to do all of that there as well. Check out the finished long drink. Of course, one of the great investors in the finished long drink is Ricky Fowler, which reminds me to say good luck to the United States Ryder Cup team. Not off to a great start here on this Friday there in Rome, uh, but hopefully that'll change here over the course of the weekend. All right. That's the story with Georgia Auburn right now. The other thing that's going to be taking place in the stadium on Saturday, which should be interesting, big collection of recruits expected to be on hand. A couple of Georgia targets, at least in one case, a former Georgia commit. Uh, We'll use that as the entryway into our conversation with Jeff Centel. Let's find out everything that's going on with Georgia recruiting right now. Here as we welcome Jeff Centel to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider all right let's say hello to a Jeff Sintel here dog nation daily presented by Kroger and there's a lot that's going on with Georgia recruiting right now and we're going to talk about a lot of that including some perhaps new storylines that are out there but to start off with Jeff I do find it interesting obviously we just sort of follow these rumors just how big of a collection of recruits that Auburn's expected to have them are your big late afternoon or night game in the sec oftentimes that's the case for Auburn we would expect it to be no different but you know I think the rumors have been that Nicarb was going to be there that's a guy that just decommitted from Georgia there's been chatter by KJ Bolden uh interesting to see a lot of these guys they're going to be on hand are guys that in some form or fashion either have had or perhaps still do have a tie to Georgia what can you tell us about some of the guys that'll be on hand tomorrow that kind of have Georgia ties but in the stadium for Jordan Hare on Saturday
2: yeah Brandon um good morning everybody you know it's funny you got me thinking oh my gosh was it that long ago Because, like you know you want to know like you know hey the visitors list I was looking over earlier this week and it was like so KJ Bolden, everybody knows that name—the guy who wore his Georgia gloves yesterday for uh, last, excuse me, last week for the Marietta game—which had a pretty pretty good dude in the booth calling that game. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what like uh, I'm sure you guys didn't make any notice of that on, on the broadcast at sure. all. You guys found better 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 football plays to talk about. Than that sure. But Brandon, think about this for a minute, man. I'm gonna throw throw some names: Demarcus Riddick, Joseph Phillips. Those are guys that it seems like light years ago when those were hot and heavy on the recruiting trail for Georgia. Remember, that was the summer. How far ago does it seem when, you remember when Georgia was really in it for the the big-time linebacker, and then at one time DeMarcus Reddick was committed to to Georgia for forever, from like November of 2022 up until he made his decision uh, in early July to, to flip to Auburn. You see all this, and you're like, man, that was so long ago. Of course, Nicar is supposed to be there as well. And really, in the state of Alabama, there's a lot of names that, that are visiting Georgia that are on the target list for Georgia. Guys like Jared Smith, Spain Park, defensive end. He was at one time a five-star, now he's a former. Now he's a high four-star. Zion, Diggy Grady, out of Charles Henderson, Troy. He is a five-star, the number one edge in the country. Running back, Alvin A-Train Henderson, another really strong prospect from the state of uh, Alabama. And then perhaps one of the bigger targets for Georgia in the entire 2025 class is cornerback Naeem Offord out of Parker High School in Birmingham, Alabama. So it's pretty much a who's who. Now you're going to get, I think, the Buford uh, contingent, Bryce Perry Wright's going to be there, and the Sierra McCoy. A couple of 20, really strong prospects is Buford. I know you got to see them last week as well. You know, Bryce Perry Wright probably doesn't have the, Maybe needs another inch or two to have elite size, but he's already playing like an elite prospect right now for Buford. And it's going to be kind of a who's who of Georgia targets. And then, I guess, recruits of recruiting cycle months past, those of the 2024 recruiting class, I guess, with names like, I guess you can say far now, but clearly names like uh, Mr. Phillips. And then also uh, you've got DeMarcus Riddick, who long time used to be a Georgia commit under Schumann. Of course, Georgia certainly reloaded and replenished the linebacker, uh, the linebacker class quite nicely in the departure of Mr. Riddick.
0: So I think the thing that this kind of leads me to is, is that what's been going on around Georgia the last few years is actually a little bit of a departure from the norm. You know, growing up, Georgia constantly fighting recruiting battles against the likes of Auburn. That hasn't happened much in recent years. Even like the end of the Gus Malzahn era, you know, Auburn was basically recruiting you know, barely outside of its own neighborhood in terms of the players it was bringing in. Their their geographic circle got very small in terms of what they were recruiting. Brian Harson didn't recruit at all. You know, Florida State's one of these programs where for the entirety of my you know, you know, lifetime, right, southwest Georgia, that area, that's a lot closer to Tallahassee, major factor in state for recruits. That's what Florida State has been. And the last few years, Florida State's been down, Auburn's been non existent. That hasn't quite so much been the factor, but I get the impression that moving forward, some of these teams that Georgia has been battling with for decades, they are going to be battling with again, I think, and you know what the last few years have looked like, that's not what normal has been. That's been actually the departure from normal, and perhaps in terms of the way in which these battles get fought around the South, that we're actually experiencing a little bit of a return to normalcy. A lot of that's propelled by NIL. Auburn seems ready to spend now. We're not uh, when Harson was coach, Florida State ready to spend now just because they're so you know, desperate to have success, something they haven't had in quite some time. But whatever the reason for it is, it seems like we are seeing you know lists of finalists and recruiting battles that just feel a little bit more normal for the South after a few years of a couple of these teams seemingly taking some years off.
2: Yeah, Brandon, the way I look at it is, I mean, I can't think. If you had to get me to trace the last time there was a true Georgia-Auburn battle, and I don't know if Riddick or Phillips really, really make sense there because I think those were, um, those are recruitments I think that were decided by uh, external factors, kind of like NIL or there was an NIL presence there. And I think that's the way Auburn, and mean, I guess Owen Popo is the last one I would sit there and go that was a recruit that, you know, Georgia wanted at one time. Georgia of course wanted him to play a different position. Um And then Auburn won that one. But that was like, you want to talk about the Mesozoic era or something like that. That's what it was. That was when Kirby was really starting to take flight. And I think Auburn, in a nutshell, what they have to do, Brandon, is Auburn is chasing what Georgia has. And they're also chasing what Alabama has. So they're going to have to pay for that. They're going to have to uh, come up with some way, some sort of equalizer. Look at what Florida State's doing. I think Auburn's road to being – uh, a formidable on recruiting trails. They've got to go through NIL and they've got to win ball games and then they've got to get up to that level. I, I, I can't help but, but very cleanly, very clearly note that Georgia's recruiting battles these days when maybe years ago used to have Auburn and Tennessee and Florida State in there. Now they always have Ohio State or USC or Alabama in there, maybe even Clemson still. Those are the battles that Georgia fights now. They fight them on a national stage, maybe throw in Texas now as well, but Auburn's not at that level, and I don't care what color combination of orange they wear on Saturday, and I'd love to hear your most snarkiest comment about all orange, by the way, Brennan. Are they going to have orange pants? I'm sure they won't change the orange, the helmet to orange. Are they going to have an orange jersey? If so, that's going to be looking atrocious, I might say. But I think with Auburn and what they have, I don't know if they're there yet. I think when I watch Hugh Freeze Freeze's team and I listen to him talk about his team, it seems to me like he realizes that he is the proverbial SEC coach uh, going into that going into that gunfight with perhaps uh, some semblance of a Cub Scout knife, I would say. I mean, he really doesn't feel – I don't feel like he has the receivers. I don't feel like he has the playmakers on offense. I don't feel like he has the quarterback. And I think I think that's one of the things where maybe this gravitas of old-school Hugh three. Um, bringing something different uh, than traditional SEC football I think that's where that
0: comes from and you know normally when you see someone wearing all orange that's a person who's incarcerated which locked up is exactly where I think most Auburn fans should probably be uh, let me move on and talk about another guy that's expected to be there on Saturday recent decommitment from Georgia Car, and you know when K.J. Bolden chose Florida State over Georgia I'd kind of said hey I'm gonna keep a candle in the window here I think there's a chance that Georgia could potentially get back involved. Who knows if that's real or not? But we have seen Bolden visit Georgia in the last couple of weeks, which at least amounts to something. I don't have anywhere near the same level of optimism when it relates to NICAR. My assumption is this is over and done with, at least as it involves UGA. And Jeff, I'm not going to lie to you, this one stings a little bit. NICAR is having a terrific senior season. This is the position group that Georgia has had the most difficulty truly breaking through with in a very big way this feels like a huge setback there in that regard there's also the issue of the fact that georgia's not exactly cleaning house in state here for the class of 2024 either and you can't help but notice that not a panic thing or whatever the you know obviously georgia's still fine on the field and the 2024 recruiting class is still a very strong one too but this one hurt, and I think it's okay just to be open and honest about that. Even if it wasn't completely unexpected, it is still bad news on the recruiting front to lose a guy like NICAR at this stage of his process.
2: Yeah, um, I think the candle in the, in the window here for NICAR might be very, very small. Now, it was an intriguing recruitment because I was told by a pretty close source to this that NICAR wanted to decommit from Georgia for a while. For a few weeks, I would imagine, and then he, he hung on for a couple more weeks because he was asked to, "Hey, go to Sanford Stadium for the South Carolina game. See if it feels like it's genuine still. See if you still feel like the love. And then if that's the, if it's that's not the case, then you can make the move. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Brandon. I thought he was an exclamation point player for a, an offensive side of the ball that definitely needed it. Hey, Georgia has recruited." out-of-this-world bonkers on the defensive side of the ball for years and years now, 2022, 2023, 2024, they're all good. They're all going to be just as good. They're all probably going to be even a little bit better in some cases. But the offensive side of the ball, we've stressed this forever. If we had a platform that we're up on the the soapbox stumping for for the 2024 class, this one had to be where Bobo and Smart got offensive. And really the narrative out there, Brandon, that Georgia's going to win these games with – controlling the trenches with six hog molly offensive linemen, elite All-American tight ends, and then a good stable of bat. And Then They're going to find a Lad McConkey. They're going to find an A.D. Mitchell. They're going to find a Sokovi White that's going to thrive in their system with their offense and the way Georgia's set up. This kind of only extends that narrative a little bit or it amplifies that narrative a little bit because, uh, Brandon, I'm, I was watching Nightfar this year, and I thought he was one of the biggest Explosive type guys in the class. Uh, I looked at him. Very. I looked at him this summer. I saw him in his early fall. He got off to such a great start. He's almost at his career high in touchdown catches. Brandon. He's through five games. He was actually. I feel like on a pace to break the seven A. Georgia State record for touchdowns in a season held by one Travis Hunter. And now it looks like you know a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the rumors or a lot of the online chatter you like to call it at it Florida State. I don't think it's Auburn at all because I think NICAR is smart enough to look at. I think it was five out of 19 for 53 yards last week in an SEC football game for Auburn's passing attack. And then you've got Florida State. I don't think – I think Miami is probably the lure here. I look for him to take a, take a visit to Miami. Brendan, we all know what Miami has done recently in the NIL space as well. That's something to kind of consider when you wonder what's happening there with NICAR. But, you know, Brandon, we've seen a track record here of Georgia. They're not going to be in, in, a, in a recruiting race anymore where NIL is at the forefront.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the uh, the impression that we get. And, you know, folks can have their own opinion on that. But I just think flatly here that while once again the caveat here is georgia's won the last two national championships they've you know ha- had you know great recruiting success so far in the class of 2024 in the last the class of 2025 like you know there's only so concern any georgia fan i think can rightly be about stuff like this but i do think it's fair to say that georgia needs to do a little bit better with its wide receiver recruitment i, I think that you can only go so long without you know making a better impression on better wide receivers i think you need to do that but even more important jeff you know I think the thing about the in-state stuff in the class of 2024 I think that matters and I'm going to do this off the top of my head maybe I'm going to get this wrong but I think Georgia's only got one likely commitment from the top 10 players in the state and that's a player that was already committed to Georgia when he moved to Georgia obviously Dylan Raiola I think it's three of the top 20 when it's all said and done maybe only five of the top 25 you know like I said that's off the top of my head maybe I've got you know something slightly wrong there on that but Georgia is really kind of whiffing in state this year and some of those guys were maybe not huge positions of need or whatever else but you can kind of I mean you can caveat this to death if you want to but Georgia needs to do better in in in-state recruitment than that and You know, you can say Cauket County is close to Tallahassee, but also what's close to Georgia isn't always exactly the best home field advantage for UG recruiting either. And you can say, well, it's NIL this and NIL that. I mean, if you want to mitigate some of the big NIL offers, you better find a way to get an emotional pull from a guy who grew up close to home or something like that. I mean, obviously, Georgia doesn't need me to tell them how to recruit. I don't want to go too far with this, but but you got to do better in-state than that. Otherwise, you're just making the recruiting process harder than it needs to be.
2: So, here's a little bit of pushback here, Brandon, on two things. I think it's three out of twelve. Uh, you've got DeMello Jones. Maybe it's three out of thirteen. DeMello Jones, Dwight Phillips, I know those are both top 13 players in the state, along with the, along with uh, Dylan Riolà. And then you get Justin Green, and then you get Daniel Calhoun, so I think that's five out of the top 18, but I think the other thing you got to think about, K.J. Bolden. Let me see if I can do this through my head here. K.J. Bolden, that's just a straight miss. The Dogs would take his recruitment tomorrow. Sammy Brown, they wanted him, but look what they got instead. If You had a spot in the class for a linebacker, and you said the great Sammy Brown is probably one of the five best athletes in the country pound for pound versus Justin Williams at linebacker. I think it would be hard. You might chew on your nails a little bit, but you feel good about going with Justin Williams there. Um, Mike Matthews. That's another loss, but another great wide receiver. Uh, and, you know, I think one of my points here, Brandon, I'm trying to make with a couple things is let's just honestly look at look at Georgia for a second. They had they won a national championship largely without the services of George Pickens, their top receiver on their top receiver in the program, perhaps easily the top receiver in the program since AJ Green. They lose their leading receiver that was expected to return, Jermaine Burton, to Alabama. Georgia still wins the national championship without a high efficiency, big time. And I think sometimes Georgia's offense struggles in the red zone. They don't have a guy that can go up and get a fade ball in the red zone because they just don't have that dude anymore. Um, You you keep going down the list, Brennan. They lost A.D. Mitchell, was one of their better potential returning receivers for this season. He's now in Texas. I think Georgia – I know Georgia fans don't want to do that. They feel like they've got to be elite everywhere. They feel like – and you know, Brennan, from an honest from an honest perspective, here Georgia has won so many games in a row. They've won back-to-back national championships. They develop like no one else. If this current Georgia, besides Carson Beck throwing for 500 yards every week rather than 350 every week, if this if this Georgia is just not is not going to do it for the in-state receiver, then I don't know what I don't know what will. I spent a while I wrote about Travis Smith this week, Brandon, the 2025 wide receiver. I think he is a special football player. Even though he doesn't have any stars, he has—you know—he doesn't have a lot of strong recruiting interests. He's 6'4", 200 pounds already at Westlake High School, looking like an amazing talent, looking like a guy that's probably going to end up with five stars by the time his rankings are all down. Then That's how talented he, talented he is. That's an in-state receiver We're always going to try and report on those and try to find those and try to bring those out because this is an in-state receiver that told me he really loves the way Georgia's recruiting him. He really loves the feeling he's got in Athens. He loves the way he's being prioritized. So that's a good thing. But you keep going down that list and you're like, it would be one thing if, if Georgia wasn't getting uh, the elite talent nationwide. And I, I guess it's one of those things where you can't have you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too a little bit. Do you want the top rated prospects in the country that this staff and we, we we've announced to do one thing and that's trust a lot of the evaluations here? If they go out and get an offensive tackle in New Jersey instead of an offensive tackle in, in Villa Rica, you've got to go with them on that because they've proven that that's what they're looking for. They've got a proven brand. Now, I know a lot of it is maybe some sense of pride that why can't Georgia get a Mike Matthews? Why can't Georgia hold on to a night Carr? But it, it's a wide receiver position, Brandon. I hate to say it, but it's, coming, it's becoming like the running back where a lot of these young men are looking for this new era of name, image, and likeness to really enhance their college decision it was something that even Nick David brought up, to, brought, up to, brought up this week when he was asked at a press conference about it. NIL is not what it's supposed to be. It is a clear inducement to a decision, and that's really not what anybody wanted in college football.
0: So I'll just say this really quickly because I want to ask you about one more thing before we leave. I mean, the two that sting for me, I mean, obviously I like NICAR, but uh, the two that sting for me are Mike Matthews and K.J. Bolden. Now there are people online who will tell you, well, you know, Who's to say that Georgia couldn't get back involved late Mike Matthews? Obviously, I'd love that to be true. K.J. Bolden, I've said before, I haven't certainly waved the white flag on. Who's to say that doesn't change before it's all said and done? But my entire feeling about Georgia in-state would be totally different with a Bolden, and or a Matthews I just think you know I've had a chance to spend a little time around Mike Matthews I think he's a very impressive young man in addition obviously being a great player he's certainly a team first type guy plays defense plays special teams does all willing blocker I mean you certainly can't say oh prima donna wide receiver he doesn't want to be a part of what George is doing that's not his profile as a player KJ Bolden haven't seen him this past Friday night I'm telling you what Jeff He's a revelation. I think he's even better this year than he was a year ago. I think he is I think he is in Georgia right now, what Caleb Downs was last year. Um, those are the two names in state that really probably sting the most here. Bolden and Matthews. I just think they're really special players. I would love to have seen them come to Georgia.
2: Bolden, uh, you know, he's got shades of Michael Hardman right now yeah. in terms of touching the football on offense. And, and you know, the one that should really sting and this is going to be. Oh my gosh, I can't believe Jeff said that. There's reasons I can I can make for Mike Matthews and Nychar and Jeremiah Smith, all these receivers not to come to Georgia because they want to get fed, they want to get touches, they want to get the ball. No matter what Tennessee's run-pass ratio looks like right now, actually they're more heavily slanted in the run than they are to the pass. But for me, the one that just staggers me a little bit, and you know you hear the whispers of you know NIL and Florida State. Look what they did here. You know, the timing of when uh, K.J. Bolden annou- makes his announcement and then there's a tweet on social media from one of Florida State's collective that was certainly, to me, looked like it was appropriately timed. But if you're T.J. Bolden and you're looking at the University of Georgia and you're looking and you're saying, I see you, Malachi Stark. I see you, Louis Steen, I see you, Chris Smith. And you're making that decision not to go play for Georgia for Will Champ and Kirby Smart, where you can see a lot of things about Georgia with – Wide receivers, are they producing? Quarterbacks, are they producing? At least not in the NFL. But when you look at that safety and you look at that defensive back spot and what Georgia's done, there's a really a hard line you got to take for why you decide to go outside the state of Georgia when you've been prioritized, when the Georgia University of Georgia machine has been phenomenal at developing safety. That's the one that you really think.
0: All right, very, very quick, because uh, I've kept you long, and we'll try to keep this uh, short for everybody, including yourself. Um, What's going on with Georgia defensive line recruiting? Some interesting stuff out there. Chatter about Aiden Breeland here this week. Interesting offer going out from Georgia. It seems like there's a lot of chatter right now about Georgia along the defensive line here with some big names still out there. What can you tell us about the latest on the dogs in this particular position group?
2: Yeah, Brandon, I think Georgia's got maybe five potential names that they could add to their class at 26 right now. I think two or three of them need to be on the defensive line. You see a lot of things Georgia's offering, a lot of defensive linemen at the Juco level, which is kind of rare for the dogs now, especially in this modern era of college football. And you see Breland and some Crystal Balls, and you see uh, Michael Burrow, and you wonder, you also kind of look at a cause and effect thing here. You know, Nemandi Ogboko, the really talented uh, nose tackle out of North Carolina, just took an official visit to Georgia. Reports coming out after that visit is he still likes Georgia. He still solid with Georgia. You know, what would happen if Georgia cleans house with an Aiden Breeland and then a Michael Burrow out of Creekside. Does, does the Mande of Bocco look elsewhere? Is he smart right now to kind of look for safety valves in a pretty nice program like Notre Dame? That's kind of what you see here, and I think a lot of these JUCO offers are kind of plan B should things not work. I feel like L.J. McRae, a lot of the, a lot of the chatter, a lot of my information sources say that, Florida has made a move, and they're kind of retaining L.J. McRae right now. So you look at Georgia closing out on the defensive line. Aside from Brandon, maybe a a wide receiver or another defensive back, Cam McKell's name will come up because the the pitch is, well, will Georgia now go to him and say, hey, you can be a receiver now? You know, Will Georgia keep looking down the board? I don't know if Georgia will look down the board. My personal feeling is their wide receiver issues, they will offset through the portal with proven players, proven college players rather than high school prospects. But the defensive line, kind of you're looking for that closing flurry for the class and the name Aiden Breeland and the name Michael Burrow are really front and center at what Georgia can try
0: to do there. Very good stuff, Jeff. Looking forward to seeing you in Auburn tomorrow. Should be a fun day. Hoping to see the Dogs get a big win. Of course, we'll be reading plenty of UG recruiting information from you online at dognation.com. Thank you for your time, and we'll look forward to talking to you again next week.
2: Hey, man, I know I'd get a drive down the fairway when I teed up that uh, Auburn orange jersey's comments for you. Too bad you couldn't be playing for the Ryder Cup team this morning,
0: man. Yeah, America could use it right now, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Fruit. Yeah, don't even get me started on the Ryder Cup right now. Now, as folks are hearing this, this is like a Friday morning. We have seen the United States fairly well pasted uh, in uh, Marco Simone in italy here right now and this one my favorite sporting events i love it we don't talk golf on here because y'all want to hear about college football but i do love it um (laughs) the Ryder cup's a blast america's long history of struggling in europe uh and so far this year the same thing is true again but we got a long weekend to change all of that so usa 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 let's see if we can get the americans to turn that around it's also kind of weird too it's like some of the, the georgia themed golf accounts i follow online they're like tweeting this positive stuff about Sepp Straka right now. I'm like, wait a second, am I happy for him because he went to Georgia, or am I mad because he plays for Europe? It's kind of a there's kind of a weird vibe around some of that here right now. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we'll keep our eyes on all of that. And of course, just like Jeff, see you there in Auburn tomorrow for a fun day, including our Dog Nation post game show on the field when the game is done. Hopefully, have Jeff Centel as a part of that there too. Let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And one of the things you hear me talk about a lot is my love for Perfect Day Coco Cay. That's the private island oasis. I don't believe oasis is too strong of a word to use. The private island oasis for those exclusively on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. In other words, if you want to get to Perfect Day Coco Cay, you've got to be on board a Royal Caribbean ship to get there. And it's really an experience unlike anything I think you'll ever have. And here in 2024, it's set to get even better. It's amazing for me to consider this, but, you know, per- Perfect Day Cocoa K's always had like the thrill side and the chill side. Well, now they're adding a brand new element to Perfect Day Coco K. It's an area called Hideaway Beach, and it's going to be an adults-only enclave that is going to provide another kind of special sort of beach experience. It's a little bit like, and I think that'd be okay with me saying it this way, it's a little bit like a Vegas pool party type vibe. You got DJ, you got, you know, cabanas, you got all this kind of stuff going on. And they're kind of adding that to all the fun stuff that's sort of already going on at Perfect Day Coco K. So, hey, if you and your family want to do the water slides and things like that, you get a chance to do that. If you want to go just sort of sit in a relaxed environment uh, on the beach or, you know, in the, you know certain areas of the Oasis Lagoon or you want to take advantage of the beach club and all that kind of stuff that's all there for you but if you want the other experience the brand new experience the hideaway beach provides which is you know you're gonna have some fun you have the dj playing music you're out there soaking up the sun you're in the ocean you're hanging out by the sand you know whatever that is what the brand new hideaway beach is going to be all about so if you have not checked out royal caribbean that to me is the number one reason to do so because so many of these great things we tell you about including our dog nation cruise in april they are going to perfect day cocoa case make sure you check that out jessica slater great travel agent she can help you give her a call 770-718-9147 at 770-718-9147 you can also email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com great travel agent she can help you with all of that all right want to give you our final thoughts on the big games of this weekend and i tell you i'm really looking forward to especially the action in the sec we've got SEC teams all playing each other. There are no cupcakes on the schedule here this week. It's just a really fun, you know, schedule filled with uh, football. Georgia Auburn, obviously, maybe the prime example of that, but there are other games worth following there too. I think Florida going to Kentucky is a really interesting game. I think the wrong team has been favored here, and I don't take any great pleasure in saying that because obviously we don't like Florida, but we also take our picks somewhat seriously. We want to try to get them right. Uh, At one point in time, we saw Florida about a field goal underdog here you know it's one of those things you always have your eyebrows raised anytime the unranked team is favored over the ranked team even when that team is playing at home that's been kind of the case we probably throw that out the window here just because Florida's only just now entered into the uh, top 25 here and Kentucky was kind of just outside the you know the team's also receiving votes of actually making the top 25 but we just think the wrong team's favored Florida we believe is the better of these two teams they have the higher rating in the ESPN FPI you know we think that Kentucky if all you've done is scoreboard watch watch the Wildcats things kind of look okay relatively impressive explosive play rates on offense and seemingly convincing wins against a very weak slate of competition overall but there's a deeper story I believe to be told with Kentucky this team right now is not as good as it's been advertised to be by its undefeated ranking. And I think that Florida wins this game on the road on Saturday. Woe be to Billy Napier if they don't, because to have two September losses for him would not be good, because schedule picks up eventually for the Gators, and wins eventually will get a little bit harder to come by. So you better win this one if you want to be on track to get bowl eligibility and things like that. If you're a Georgia fan, one more thing to keep in mind when it comes to this particular game. Right now, Kentucky is among the slowest teams in the country they're like bottom three nationally i believe about all of fbs in terms of plays run per game they're somewhere in like the 50s in terms of their total plays run per game just keep this in mind when they come to athens next week you got to be really really careful we've seen already a situation this year where georgia got two first quarter possessions against i think it was ball state one quarter one first quarter possession against south carolina you know there's no shortage of national media. People are like, there, there's no difference in these clock rules. There's Everything's the same. Everything's good. The, my sources who are uh, uh, TV executives, they assure me of this, so therefore I'm regurgitating all this back to you. Uh, we're told that there's no big deal about these clock rules, but it has clearly impacted Georgia a couple of times here. And against Kentucky next Saturday, this could be another instance where if you're not careful, you just don't get the football very much. Kentucky is content to play very slow. And if they have success, they have a tendency to want to keep it. So keep that in mind as you're watching this game on Saturday there as well. A&M in Arkansas. This is obviously something of a must-win game for both these teams. This is also one of the craziest rivalries in the SEC. Played every year at Jerry World. Wild things happen. It was a crazy game a year ago. KJ Jefferson fumble. Results in the Texas A&M win. Uh, I expect craziness to happen again on Saturday probably but the other thing to watch for here is the insertion of Max Johnson as A&M quarterback and backup quarterbacks matter in this league we see backup quarterbacks playing frequently is there a huge drop off from Wegman to Johnson perhaps there won't be Uh, A&M can still be a factor in the SEC West race if they can get some competent play from Johnson the one thing that you should not be discounted about Texas A&M for everything you want to say about the slow and plodding offense that Jimbo Fisher has led and the uh, ability of a Bob Petrino to make an impact on that, the one thing that A&M does have, they have good wide receivers. They have a good collection of wide receivers. And so if the A&M wide receivers can assert themselves, that makes the transition to Max Johnson a little easier, and perhaps that's an identity that Texas A&M can lean on the rest of the season. Uh, I'll give you LSU going to Ole Miss. This is one of those spots where Ole Miss has not been good at home. We'll give you these numbers later on uh, this evening on uh, Go With the Flow. Ole Miss has not been good at home against SEC competition. That's just not been an area in which they've thrived, at least from a point spread standpoint. This will be the first time, though, that Brian Kelly, as LSU coach, goes on the road to a ranked team, and Ole Miss still is. Probably shouldn't be, but they still are. I think think that LSU probably thrives here. I think Ole Miss is nothing but a pretender. Um, This is a spot where I like LSU by a pretty good margin. They obviously didn't play well last week against Arkansas, but did have a big performance on the road against Mississippi State the week before that. I think that's probably uh, worth considering there as LSU tries to demonstrate that it's still the class of the SEC West. I'll quickly give you this. South Carolina and Tennessee. Tennessee's a big favorite here, but I like South Carolina's ability to keep it close in the experts uh, thing. We've talked a lot about Spencer Rattler this week just because of what George was able to do against him. But this is still a guy second in the SEC in passing yards per game, second in the SEC in completion percentage. His other numbers, his touchdowns, things like that, likely better had he not already played Georgia. I like Rattler to outdo Joel Milton. Maybe not enough to get the win on the road, but at least enough to keep it closer than the experts think. Um, I like that from South Carolina on Saturday. And I also somewhat expect Alabama to go on the road to Mississippi State. We saw LSU when that stadium Uh, pile up a big point total a couple of weeks ago my guess is with Jalen Milrow at the helm Alabama probably does that as well uh, in excess of 30 points there in this spot Zach Arnett's a good defensive minded coach but this is this is a Mississippi State team right now that's reeling to a certain extent Alabama is not a playoff level team in my mind nor are they an SEC champion level team in my mind but with Jalen Milrow they are better than they would be with other guys playing quarterback I think they'll run him I think they'll throw deep with him and I think they'll have some success there I like Alabama going uh you know somewhere in the 30s there on Saturday and probably having some success with that nationally you know interesting to look at USC and Colorado right we've seen Colorado what two and two should say three and one on the field but two and two against the spread the two games they've covered they've covered by more than three touchdowns the two games they failed to cover they failed to cover by about three touchdowns a really fascinating scene um, my guess is is it's another beatdown. I think Lincoln Riley needs a big win. Right now, they're kind of falling back in the pack a little bit from a perception standpoint with so many Pac 12 teams playing well. I think they're probably aware of that. Defensively, they need a big game. If they can, uh, you know, we've seen Shador Sanders somewhat limited here a little bit lately. Obviously, Oregon had the recipe for success there against that. Once again, much like Oregon was last week for perhaps different reasons, if USC can pile on the points. And pile on the dominant win. I believe that Lincoln Riley is going to seek that out. That's probably worth paying attention to. I'd also keep my eye on Texas here this week. I know people still make fun of Texas because a couple of years ago they lost to Kansas. They have a little bit of a history of not always playing well against these, you know, by perception anyway, lesser Big 12 teams. Although in Kansas' case, they're ranked in the top 25. But it seems like Texas is shaking some of that off right now. They blew out Baylor uh, a week ago. And even though they lost to Kansas in 2021, total domination against the Jayhawks last year. This is a Texas team to me that looks like a playoff team, and I think they go out and show that in a situation like this against Kansas on Saturday, and that's probably worth paying attention to. I don't have a strong feeling about Duke hosting Notre Dame. That's the game-day game, uh, but probably a pretty fun matchup as uh, Notre Dame pressed to shake off its loss to Ohio State from last week. We will make that, though, cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me also give a couple shout-outs here as well to some fun things coming up in the uh, next couple of weeks. that As you're out and about doing fun things in the fall, you're going to be aware of. Our friends in Cartersville and Bartow County, boy, they got some great stuff going on. We've told you about this. I want to give you another another reminder about the West Fest there at the Booth Museum taking place October 26th through the 28th. You can uh, enjoy all kinds of Western-themed activities there, including a reenactment of the gunfight at the OK Corral. That's a lot of fun. Also, some Native American dancing, some delicious food trucks. And then you've got uh, the Evolution of Bigfoot exhibition coming to the Savoy Automobile Museum. Museum on October 3rd. You can see the history of Bigfoot, the other monster trucks that have kind of been famous there on that, uh, and just really have a good time there at the Savoy Auto Museum there for that. And then also the downtown Cartersville pub crawl, October 27th through the 28th, just $45. Website to go to to find out more about this only Cartersville, all only in Cartersville Barto.com. That's only in Cartersville for more on that. Also, one more thing, speaking of western theme type stuff, about the Georgia Rodeo back with a brand new event and a wonderful concert event taking place with country music sensation Hardy uh, going down here. Uh, going to be a, a, a great time to find out more about that. All kinds of great musical guests and really fun stuff going on. So check out the thegeorgiarodeo.com for more on that. That's the thegeorgiarodeo.com. The date on that is October the 6th for the Georgia Rodeo with a uh, great concert from Hardy. Other musical, musical guests there on that. Find out more online. the Thegeorgiarodeo.com. All right, let's give you a couple of golden shoes on our way into a Friday here. Fun night tonight on Peachtree TV as Houston County hosts Lee County. That's going to be a great matchup. Can't wait to see you for two of 6A's bass tonight on Peachtree TV. But prior to that, how about a couple of golden shoes? And our buddy uh george foster the great former georgia offensive lineman also a very fun personality on social media a lot of folks reacting to a video that he put out there of the kids being taught how to say that auburn football sucks uh very funny stuff from george i should go find him on twitter and see the uh, full video there on that i don't have time to play the full thing for you but it's really funny good stuff from george foster we'll give him a uh, golden shoe and to the folks who shared that with me i certainly appreciate that there as well another golden shoe going out here dina pruitt says Uh, about hugh freeze not remembering the history of the georgia auburn rivalry dina says the hugh freeze was clearly not the fire hose game between georgia auburn back in 1986 he says my husband will never forget it and yes there is hate there she also gives us a go for three and 23 which we love and a wonderful picture of the uh, fire hoses game the upset win for georgia at auburn in 1986 a uh, fun thing to think about as we go into a uh, weekend we'll see you in auburn tomorrow and of course back here monday dog nation daily presented by kroger but before that though don't forget our gator hater countdown 29 days from now georgia back in jacks we beating up on florida again that's a rivalry win we expect georgia to get and another one coming tomorrow against the auburn tigers So, have a great weekend everybody we'll talk to you back here on monday